your incredible plan of salvation, redemption um, for your world, a fallen world that's rebelled against you. Uh, thank you for your word that um, tells us uh, who you are, what you are like, and all that you've done for us in Jesus. And uh, we pray that as we have it read to us and uh, explained to us that you will, by your spirit, really take these words deep uh, and change us by them um, for our ultimate good and for your ultimate glory. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thanks for coming along uh, and being with the Lord's people today as we sort of hear from this incredible part of the Bible from Psalm 1. Um, uh, as Steve mentioned, uh, inside your handout here is a little outline of where we'll be going together and that might be helpful for you as we think through this, this part of the Bible. Uh, but I, I just want to be happy. That's probably a phrase that you've heard before. I just want to be happy. It's a line you hear a lot, and it's kind of a sentiment that captures a lot of 21st century Australia, right? The, the kind of stuff that seems to drive us, uh, 21st century Aussies. It's a desire that lots of people have, and, and lots of people have a lot to say about. Uh, if you type in, I don't recommend you doing this, but you, you, if you're curious, you can. If you type in how to be happy into Google, okay, there's like you know, a gazillion sort of hits that come up. Uh, and here are some of the ones from, that come up on the first page. Ten scientifically proven ways to be incredibly happy. Well, there you go. That's promising a lot. Uh, ten ways to be happier. Seven steps to becoming a happier person. How to be happy. Follow these five easy steps. The 15 habits of incredibly happy people. And kind of it just goes on and on and on from there. Uh, all these visions, right? What, what's happening there is you're, you're kind of searching on Google for how to be happy there. All these presenting all these different visions for the good life, for how to live a life that's, that's good and fulfilling and happy and whole and satisfied. Uh, that kind of taps into something into us, I think, this deep longing that we do have actually for happiness, for some kind of Satisfaction or joy or fulfilment, wholeness. Uh, uh, probably in reaction to some of the more airy fairy, kind of wishy washy responses people give to this, uh, some Christians have kind of reacted right against this kind of quest for happiness. It's too focused on the self, and you might have heard things like this God doesn't want you to be happy, He wants you to be holy. Um, what's really fascinating, though, is that when you get to the Bible, the way, the way that the Bible shows us this captivating vision for what life, for a life that is full on about happiness, a life that is full on, we encounter a God who wants this kind of happiness 
for his creatures. Not necessarily the kind, sorry, not necessarily the kind of happiness that we might you know, initially kind of expect or want. Not a shallow kind of light, zippity-doo-dah, my oh my, what a wonderful day kind of happiness. A kind of happiness that can't cope with pain or suffering or sorrow. Not that kind of happiness. And maybe in the end of the day, happiness isn't actually the right word for this, what the Bible describes about this vision of life, of, of the good life. Maybe happiness, it's kind of been too taken over by all these other images and we need something better to think about it. You see, it's a far deeper reality than all of those things. It's not less than what sometimes we think of as happiness. It's much more. It's what gets called in Psalm 1, this blessedness, blessedness. Um, We're taking time out over the next two weeks to look at the Bible's book of Psalms. I'm hoping uh, that over the years here at Trinity South Coast we'll have a lot of time to spend in the Psalms together, uh, chewing them over, reflecting on them. Um, before we kind of dive into this passage that now uh, we've talked, uh, uh, that we've kind of introduced, a quick orientation for those who might be unfamiliar with the Psalms. It's in the Old Testament, the first kind of part of the Bible, all that's written before Jesus. The New Testament's everything written in the wake of Jesus, but the Psalms in that kind of chunk of the Old Testament. Uh, they're a collection of songs, songs and poems uh, written kind of through Israel's history. A lot of them were written by um, the, the great author of the Psalms, who you'll know, the greatest king of Israel, David. Uh, but it had, they had a lot of other authors as well. And they were kind of used as a kind of songbook for uh, the, for God's people, a kind of prayer book, if you like, a songbook. The Israelites would sing them, they'd say them out loud together. Uh, and actually, until really quite recently, uh, Christians have also used these psalms together when they met together. Um, most Christians have done that. We, we, we do that here every now and again. I wonder if we should do it more. Um, until quite recently, that's been really uh, a, a kind of bedrock of the way Christians have lived together, reading these psalms out aloud. They've been central to the life of God's people. And one reason they're so important, I think, is the way that they connect our heads to our hearts, the way they kind of connect our heads to our hearts. Songs do that, right? Uh, Songs do that. They take the truths that we know uh, and they say them and they put them to music in the case of songs, they, they say them in unexpected new ways that take those truths and kind of press them home into our hearts. They kind of uh, make us to see them in new lights and in fresh ways. In theological speak, they connect theology with doxology, right thinking about God with right worship of God. Um, it's good to hear these psalms, I think, especially for us, if you're visiting, uh, um, uh, Steve mentioned earlier, we've just finished uh, reading through Romans 1 to 8 together, hearing the incredible message of Romans 1 to 8, which has been so packed full of theology, right? It's been so packed full of uh, incredible truths and realities about who God is and what he's done in Jesus and everything that that means for people and for, for the world, uh, the Psalms, uh, so it's kind of after having gone, travelled through that, it's good for us to take a little bit of time out to 
meditate on, reflect and hear these psalms. The psalms, you see, they remind us that theology on its own uh, is kind of incomplete. It's, if, our, if our theology is, really, is actually correct, it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't uh, just stay in our heads. It leads to changed lives. We, we can't keep the gospel at a distance. The Psalms show us more than any other book, I think, what a real life, a real lived life with God is like in all its ups and downs and uh, in all its reality. So this gift of the Psalms, their songs, their poetry, it's really important. Uh, uh, I'm not sure whether you kind of dig poetry or not. I kind of like poetry. I know not everyone does. Um, But a big part of the Bible is actually poetry. And uh, you kind of can't actually just ignore that part of it. Um, They're not simply sort of things that you can read for information to lock away in your head. Uh, when we do that, if we kind of just read for bits of information, it, it can kind of keep them at a distance, uh, kind of analysing them over and over again. Uh, the Psalms are there to be, yes, full, they're full of real and true and rich theology and facts and information, but they're also there to be enjoyed and read and prayed and sung and cried out. They're poems, they're songs, they give words to express this incredible full range of emotions. Uh, John Piper, who's an American pastor and author, he uh, reckons he finds, he lists at least 24 these deep core emotions that come through again and again in the Psalms. I'm going to list them for you, just, you know, I won't give you references, you can follow it up later if you like. Loneliness, love, awe, sorrow, Regret, contrition, discouragement, shame, exaltation, marvelling, delight, joy, gladness, fear, anger, peace, grief, desire and hope, brokenheartedness. Gratitude, zeal, pain, confidence, kind of you, you could keep going on, but you get the picture, right? The Psalms are such a gift to us from God because of the way they connect these with our deepest longings and they lead us into this kind of direct way of expressing them in prayer to our, our God. They're kind of the ultimate prayer book of the Bible, this, this book. Okay. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be thinking about the first couple of Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, as Steve mentioned. Uh, Psalms 1 and 2, these first two, they, they form a kind of introduction, a bit of a gateway into the rest of the book. They sit apart from, sort of a, from, the, from the rest of the book, and what you read in Psalms 1 and 2, what you encounter, what you find there, it really sets you up for the whole book, for the whole of the Psalms. Uh, it brings up themes and characters that are going to come up again and again and again and be really important for the whole of the book, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see as we go together. It's important that you read both Psalm one and two kind of together. That's why we're doing it as a bit of a chunk. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, it'll be really helpful as we flick through. I didn't arrange slides for this, but kind of maybe you could um, uh, go flick back to the Bible reading, and as we go through, keep them up on the on the screen. That'd be great. Um, 
But the psalm opens, right? This, this psalm, we mentioned earlier, uh, this idea of happiness. The psalm opens with uh, talking about blessed. Blessed is the, is the one. Blessed is that person who... Uh, what does it look like to be blessed, right? Is, is, is what this psalm, right out of the gate, uh, introduces to us, puts before us. What does it look like? Uh, well, Google has thousands of ideas, a gazillion ideas, right? Uh, but do you see here... There's really, and we saw it earlier in the kids' talk, there's really just two basic fundamental things that this psalm puts before us. You see them in verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Isn't this fascinating, friends? I find this fascinating. This whole psalm, this whole talk about the blessed one, this figure of holding up this person who is blessed, starts with a negative. And that's really interesting, I think, or striking. It's as if right from the start we're meant to see that this blessed life is going to involve a negative, a sacrifice, a a kind of choice against something. Uh, and to help us feel, to help us kind of feel what he's gone about, the, he uses this. The writer of this psalm uses a bit of a technique, right? So, uh, uh, short poetry kind of session here. What makes a poem a poem? Uh, it's, well, that's a bit of a tricky question. Perhaps it's rhyming, right? Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. Right? Is that what makes a poem? Uh, well, perhaps for some of our poems, the poems on you know, on my bookshelf or something. Uh, but not actually for the for the Hebrew poets, the 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 Hebrews, the Israelites, the Hebrew poets. Uh, that wasn't the main thing. Sometimes they kind of rhyme, but they, they weren't that interested in. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam. I am. Okay, they yeah, kind of they weren't that interested in rhyming. Uh, they had this thing called parallelism. Really important. Um, uh, it, it talk about different things. Oh, sorry, talk, talk about the same thing in different ways and from sort of slightly different perspectives. Uh, and it's all over the psalm. Once you kind of get this sort of idea of parallelism, you, all over, all through the book of Psalms, they're everywhere. These parallels, if you keep an eye on it. And here, you can. We saw it as we read through this. There's three things in these three parallels that kind of fill out the negative. Of this blessed life. Walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the company of mockers. It's a pretty familiar psalm from perhaps a lot of us, but it's worth actually just slowing down at this point. Do you notice, um, do you notice how they progress from someone, they kind of go from someone walking to staying still and then to relaxing and sitting down? It's as if we're given this, we're drawn into this picture of someone who is more and more drawn into the, the wickedness, the sin, the mocking of the people around them. And so that it's in increasingly more and more what characterises them as a person, this kind of progression. It kind of makes it, I don't know if this strikes true for you, perhaps it does, it, it might make you uncomfortable, uh, the way it's so culturally offensive to us, just how black and white this 
psalm is, right? <laughs> Just how black and white it is to talk about the wicked as a kind of distinct group of people. It's so culturally offensive. We don't talk like that, uh, to talk about sinners, mockers. As We're going to come back to that a little bit later, hopefully at the end, to think through how we, this kind of relates to us as Christians through Jesus. And, um, but for now, it's important just to note here that this psalm really does paint a really black and white picture. You just can't escape it. You just can't escape it. The image of the blessed person, this ideal person this psalm's holding up, the happy one, if you want to use that language, uh, is one who in a society where the tide is pulling you towards wickedness, pulling you to act in selfish ways, pulling you to live your life thoughtless of God, where society is pulling you to mock and scoff, to in arrogance think you're better than all the fools around you. In a world where all of that is normal, the blessed person does not join in. It doesn't mean this person doesn't have relationships with these groups at all, but they don't take on their way, their life as their own. They don't kind of walk in their way. So this, blessed, this figure of the blessed person this psalm holds up, uh, it puts, together, put, puts in front of us this reality that if you want to be, or if, if that kind of a person is going to miss out, it's worth saying that kind of, you're going to not do things. The psalmist isn't afraid of naming that, this reality of actually missing out in this life. Uh, the blessed one, the blessed life is one that says no to a lot of stuff, things that will seem to give real pleasure. In the end, though, if we're gripped by the reality of this psalm, by what it actually paints in its, in its fullness, we'll see that this giving up really isn't a giving up at all. It's not really a giving up at all. It's only giving up things that get in the way of, of real Happiness, real blessedness. Uh, The happiness that wickedness and sin and mocking promise, it can't deliver. We'll see later on, it's like the chaff that the wind just blows clean away. In the end, all this psalm is simply saying is that the blessed person doesn't self-destruct. right? It doesn't live in ways that are ultimately going to ruin them. It's pretty straightforward on that level. Uh, but this way, this way that the, the psalm talks about, it does have a really strong pull, doesn't it? And not least because of the people who are living in this way, who are all uh, the people around us. And the psalm says, blessed is the one who does not. It's important for us to hear that, I think, um, because, as I said before, it is such a kind of culturally insensitive, offensive message from this psalm. We need to do some hard work about thinking how we relate to this as Christians and hopefully we'll start doing that at the end. But it's just important for us to hear this kind of black and white picture that the psalm paints. It's not just negative though, okay? All of that really is just to really prepare you for what comes next, for verse 2. For the deeper positive reality of this person, 
what, you, what, what, you, what would you expect at this point? Blessed is the one who does not do all this stuff, but who does some other stuff, right? Uh, does not walk with the wicked, but does all the right things and walks with the righteous. Doesn't sin, but does the right... Well, no, it's not that that's untrue, but that's not... It's interesting, isn't it? That's not where the psalm goes. Before it gets to the kind of actions of this blessed person, it goes to their heart, to what they delight in. Verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, uh, and who meditates on his law day and night. The image of the perfect flourishing one, uh, life is one that delights. That word delight, it's a pretty intense word. It can be used for the delight of love between a husband and wife. Um, and it's, kind of, it's where you see how wrong it is, the, the kind of impression that you can get that being a Christian is fundamentally about just sucking it up and just obeying dutifully, holiness, not happiness. Don't you see that's a false distinction? The ultimate life is one of deep delight. Verse 1, holiness. Verse 2, and delight, true, lasting, eternal happiness. They delight in the law of the Lord. This word, the law, I I mentioned it before. I kind of did a bit of a leap down in the kids' talk, if you notice that I kind of said the law was like God's word to us. And it's hard to know exactly what it means. The word itself just means instruction, the instruction of God, the instruction of the Lord. Uh, It could mean kind of the specific instructions that you get given in some of the books of the Bible, um, another way the word is used, though, is kind of it, it's used in a more general way to talk about the first five books of the Bible, or even more generally to refer to God's revelation to His people as a whole. Just God's kind of God's word to humanity in the Bible. Um, so you've got all these different options for how to understand that word, the law, the lights in the law. How do you kind of what's going on there? Um, I think probably all of them are on, are on view. I think there is the, the, the picture here is of one who really does read the specific commands of God, the instructions of God, and sees them as delightful. Um, but I think it's, it, it kind of sweeps up more than that to include all that God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. So this, delight, this person delights in it. It doesn't see them as a burden or a joy. It sees this law of the Lord as a gift. Uh, he delights in it and then he meditates on it. You've noticed that? And I don't know if you've ever kind of encountered different kinds of meditation. Um, it can be pretty confusing. You might think of mystics kind of chanting one line over and over and again, right? So you might have kind of encountered that sort of thing. Um, and the, the idea of that kind of meditation is to clear your mind, free your mind from everything. Um, it's not at all what's on view in this psalm, this idea of this meditating. Meditating in the Bible doesn't empty the mind, it fills it with God's word. It fills the mind with God's word. It recognises that God has spoken through the Bible. It sees what an awesome gift that is. And it slowly... Over a lifetime, hears that word, chews over it, thinks over it, lets it sink down deep and shape you. It's so different from the kind of our longing for instant gratification, right? 
Um, I want to change. I want change, and I want it now. Uh, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago the movie The Matrix. Uh, if you've seen it, uh, one of the things in it. Uh, if if you haven't seen it, don't worry. You know, but if you have seen it, you can kind of. Uh, upload anything into your brain, right? You stick a, you plug yourself into this matrix, and you can upload anything into there. And so the main character needs to learn how to uh, fight kung fu, and so he just sits back in his chair and gets kung fu uploaded into his brain. And there he goes, right? He can, or you can learn, you can download anything into your brain. And sometimes I kind of just want that, right? Uh, just upload godliness into me please just upload the bible into my brain without all the hard work without all the you know wouldn't that be great just sit back and (laughs) it's done right you're you're perfect but the hard work friends this psalm is talking about the day and night the slow lifetime of meditation on the bible is itself part of the blessed life of this psalm you can't skip it. And that's how God works. That's how God works. Okay. Well, that, that's kind of, there's lots in those first couple of verses. Move a little quicker through the rest of it before we draw some threads together. Uh, what the psalm does next is to give this beautiful image, this wonderful image. And like we said before, you've got to remember, it's poetry, right? Um, it could have said, look, the good life means reading your Bible, not hanging out with the wicked, and the person who does that is going to, be sweet, okay? It's going to be. It it could have just said it, sort of, in a normal, you know, in, in in everyday language or something like that, right? But that's not how poetry works. It uh, poetry knows that it takes things that are wonderful, uh, things that are too wonderful for words, really, and tries to put them to words, too incredible to just give. They're not just bits of information that you need. Poetry uses images to try and capture the wonder of things, uh, things that can't be said just in a plain way. Right. So the psalm, the psalmist here, in the, he wants to capture your heart. He wants to capture your imagination, stir your imagination. This person he's holding up, the blessed person, he says, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's this image of total stability. This tree with a constant source of life, this river running next to it. It's not dependent on whether the rain's going to come or not. It's got water always ready to, suck, to draw on, to suck up in its roots. It's fruitful, it's beautiful, it's lasting, it prospers. That's not talking, we mentioned a few weeks ago, this idea of the prosperity gospel. It's not saying sort of do X and you'll get Y. Uh, that's not what's. It's tied to the image of this tree, it, and I think it's simply saying this tree will pros. This this tree is a flourishing tree. It does, uh, but it's in total contrast, isn't it, to the wicked? As you keep reading, the wicked and their way are like chaff. Chaff. Um, uh, the image there is kind of. Uh, this uh, when you're threshing wheat or something uh, in an in a, a, a agrarian society, in a society of uh, it, what people would do is stick a big fork in the wheat and throw it up into the, into the air. And the chaff, the kind of casing, I think this is right, uh, would blow away. Uh, the casing, the, the kind of stuff that you don't want, that all blows away and the, the stuff that you do want falls down to the ground. Uh, 
Farmers can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's what's going on here. But the, you get the idea, right? This chaff, it just blows away and gets forgotten about. It gets kind of, it has nothing to it. It has no substance to it. A total contrast to the strong, beautiful, fruitful tree that will never lose its life source that <laughs> is planted right next to the water. And what, what the psalm does right at the end is it kind of turns our perspective to eternity, to the ultimate reality, and it says the final verdict, what this psalm's kind of all painting for us, there really are only two ways to live. And God has the final say in them both. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The psalm paints these two ways, right? These two ways of righteous, the, the way of righteousness and the way of wickedness, and they're totally in contrast. Uh, for all that the way of wickedness seems to offer life and happiness, it won't. It won't. It won't do it in this life, and it won't ultimately do it in the life to come. It stands under the good and just judgment of God. And friends, do you see in this, the kind of world of this psalm, that's a really good thing. Wickedness and evil and sin are actually what is opposed to human flourishing, to blessing and goodness, to real lasting joy. And God's judging of them flows out of his love for his world. His desire for this joy and lasting peace. His determination to bring it. And so because of his love, the way of the wicked must be brought to destruction. But the way of the righteous, God watches over it. He knows it. He stamps his approval on it. He blesses it. All right, well, friends, what are we to make of such a powerful psalm? Um, how, how do we process it? What, what do we do with the black and white nature of this psalm, of this blessed person that the psalm presents for us? Um, for our own lives, in our own lives, uh, perhaps you read this psalm and you think, I'm not, I don't really fit in either category, right? I'm, I'm not black or white. I kind of have this greyness about me. It's really important, friends, as we kind of draw things together and how to think about this psalm in the light of the gospel, how to think about this for, as Christian people, as those who believe in Jesus. Um, important to get a handle on the fact that this, this psalm is what they call a wisdom psalm. It's part of this wisdom writing in the Old Testament. And what wisdom writing does, if, you think, if you're familiar with the Old Testament books like Proverbs, uh, what wisdom writing does is it, it reveals the true kind of moral structure of the universe, of the world. It talks about how to live in the grain of the universe. Uh, any, uh, there's a few woodworkers here, I think. Um, if you try and, from what I told, if you try and do woodwork against the grain, it's kind of, you're not going to get very far, right? You're kind of, that's where the saying comes from. Is that right? Again, if you go against the grain, it's really, it's difficult, it's hard. The key is to go with the grain. I'm getting some chuckles down here because I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm told that this is, this is right. You go with the grain of the wood, the, with the kind of way the wood is created, and um, it's much better. Anyway, 
maybe that'll do it for you, I don't know. But wisdom is, is all about living, this teaching about living kind of with the grain of the universe, in line with the grain of the way the world is made. That's why it's so black and white, because behind it stands the reality of a loving and purposeful creator. There's other parts of the Bible that, that aren't this wisdom writing that really show the complexity and a mess of life in a fallen world. Um, but we need this wisdom writing. We need it because it does show us this, this grain, this, this grain of the universe. It, uh, it, it shows us the grain. Uh, but because of the messiness of life that you also get through the whole story, and not just the messiness, the, the fallenness of life that we're not just victims of, but that we ourselves are part of, that we ourselves take part in, we, we don't just need wisdom. We don't just need wisdom. We need wisdom. It shows us the grain, but we also need a saviour. We need a king to take refuge in. And that's where Psalm 2 is going to come in next week. See, so these psalms kind of go together and they invite us into this gospel dynamic of life. Here in Psalm 1, there's this great description of the righteous life, the good life, the happy, blessed life that goes with the grain of the universe. But we need more. We need more because the universe is broken and we are broken and sinful and fallen. We've just finished Romans 1 to 8, and you can't possibly read Romans 1 to 8 without having that hammered home to you again and again, right? None of us are right in ourselves. In ourselves, we all fall, everyone falls on one side of this psalm, and it's not, it's not the, the side of the blessed. No, we need more than just wisdom. We, don't, we, we, we need the wisdom to reveal to us this grain. We need the strong black and white it presents. But Psalm 2 is going to show us that God's people need God's great king. They need saving. They need someone to take refuge in. And the end of the psalm next week that we'll read kind of fills out this idea of blessedness. The very last line of Psalm 2, if you're familiar with it, says, Blessed are those who take refuge in him who take refuge in him. Okay, for us though, as those, uh, as those uh, who have taken refuge in Jesus, uh, our King, and uh, as those who through faith in him, as we've learnt in Romans, have actually been made righteous, have been given a righteousness, not of our own, but Jesus' righteousness as a gift for us. Uh, we can hear this psalm, friends, not as an oppressive burden, but as a joyful invitation to live in line with God's purposes, to live this kind of a life. Not the kind of happiness that gets presented uh, maybe for, through a quick Google search, but the life of ultimate satisfaction and meaning and purpose and blessing. A few reflections on us as we finish up. Just some thoughts. As those who have received righteousness through faith in Christ, who are brought into this way of the righteous, not because of our own merit or our own kind of um, what, what we do, but because of him. A few quick thoughts. 
Friends, watch out. I think we need to watch out. I think, uh, please, watch out for your heart wanting a quick fix in the Christian life. We love three steps to perfect living. Five things to be a great parent. Eight steps to finally defeat temptation. Do you see the dynamic that's going on here in Psalm 1, though? It's, it's longer term. It's organic. It's, char- it's the forming of your character through the habits of meditating on the Bible, on delighting in God's Word, on soaking ourselves in the great story of the Bible. See, what happens when you do that, when you soak yourselves in this story of the Bible? You realise that it's not actually about you, not first and foremost. It's about God and what He has done in and through His Son, Jesus. That kind of transformation is really quick. Perhaps it can be at times. It's rarely quick, but it's glorious. It's the kind of transformation that we long for here. It's why the Bible is central to all that we do, why our gatherings here in our home groups are shaped around hearing God's word. Because it is the only life-giving stream that will eternally satisfy you, friends. What do you anticipate when you come to church or uh, enter into your home group? Is it this kind of delight that you're invited into to delight in God's word to you? Blessed person of the psalm can't wait to open the scriptures with God's people. Not to talk primarily about kind of their thoughts on life, but to listen, to hear, to hear from your good God and maker. And friends, as we sink our roots into that never-ending stream, You see what happens. Hard walls of pride get broken down as you are confronted again and again with God's word, with his purity, with his glory, with his majesty. Long-held despair is lifted as you see that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Your imagination is fired as you soak yourselves in this great, eternal, cosmic, global, life-giving plan. See, the claim of Psalm 1 is that what will give you true blessedness, peace, eternal joy that is deeper than your circumstances, is the gospel, is the word of God. In the scriptures, that will make you like a tree planted by streams of water that can survive the wind and the storms because its roots are soaked in what God has done. Friends, um, just one final thing. You'll notice in your handout there, um, I've just put in, uh, this is just for anyone who perhaps wants to maybe reignite your own reading of the scriptures. Uh, There's a bit of a a plan that we've plugged before here. I really encourage you to uh, at least check this, this out. These guys at the Bible Project uh, have done a great service to us, not only putting this plan together, but they make excellent videos that kind of help you through the Bible and summarise the books of the Bible. Really worth checking out. But perhaps for you, today might be a day to kind of reignite. Even, um, actually, we're about to start the New Testament. So, you know, one kind of thing that perhaps you could uh, think through is whether you could read the New Testament with us, with this reading, for the rest of this year. New Testament and through the Psalms. That would be a great thing to do to soak your roots deeply in the God's Word. 
enough from me. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, though, friends, uh, and then hand back to Steve. Let's pray. Our great God, um, Father, our hearts, you know our hearts. You know that they are so prone to wander. We are so easily distracted. We are so easily buy into the claims of the good life that are around us. Uh, we so easily uh, think that blessed is the one who, well, not who meditates on your word, but uh, or you could fill anything else in there, Father. Uh, Father, we do pray for us. Please give us this kind of delight in your word as we see Jesus in it more and more. Father, by your spirit, please transform us, equip us and strengthen us uh, to hear this word rightly today. Father, we do pray that like our Lord Jesus, that really the perfect fulfilment of this psalm, that we might, not that we might sort of um, separate ourselves from the world, but that we might learn how to be in this world fully loving it with people but not walking in the way of wickedness. That we might learn more and more how to day and night delight in and meditate on your word. And for each of us, Father, uh, may that bear good fruit in our lives. May we be like this tree that the psalm puts so beautifully before us. And we pray all of that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.